Welcome to the third in our series of C-Suite podcasts. I'm Russell Goldsmith and today we're going a bit political as we focus on the use of social media in government communications. My two guests are Bethany Kelly, currently the Acting Head of Digital Communications at the Department of Business, Innovations and Skills. And alongside Bethany is Elaine Phillips, who in her day job is Head of Strategic Analytics and Evaluation in the Communications Group at the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, or DEFRA as it's uh, normally referred to. So, Bethany, thanks so much for joining us today. Perhaps you can start by telling us a little bit about how social media fits specifically within your role at Biz when it comes to sharing government content and building relationships um, between your department and your target audience. Thanks, Russell. Um, it's vitally important. It's so important to be able to get that direct connection with the very people who we're trying to reach with our communications. One of the things that we find is that social media allows us to be really reactive. It allows us to be really immediate and it allows to reach, uh, allows the department to reach people where they are, to give them the messages, to give them the information, to help steer them, to answer questions when they want to ask them on the channel that they want to ask them in. So we at the Department for Business experiment with a lot of different social media channels. We operate a Twitter account. We do either images or photographs that we host on Flickr. We use YouTube. We've done podcasting with Audioboo. We've done um, a myriad of different things from kind of Pinterest boards. We've tried Instagram. We really want to be creative so that we're using the channel to the best effect. But of course, the core of this is finding exactly what our audience want and what resonates most for them. And the Department for Business has a really interesting portfolio. You know, we are business innovation and skills, which means we could be talking about apprenticeships. We might be trying to make sure that people understand their rights around the national minimum wage. We might be running um, a consultation about shared parental leave. We might be talking about science funding. We might be talking about zero hours contracts. We might be talking to businesses about how they can grow or begin to export. So, heavens, it's a really, really broad remit. You've mentioned a lot of channels and a hell of a lot of campaigns there. I'm amazed I've managed to get you for an hour to sit in the <laughs> studio here. I mean, how many people in, in the team that are working with you there? So in the digital team at Biz, we have 16 of us, um, some part-time, some based in Sheffield, some in London. A big part of our, our work is running um, the publishing that goes on the government website, gov.uk. But there's also um, a specialist digital outreach and engagement team that I specifically head up. Right, OK. So... But prior to um, working at, at Biz, you were at uh, HSBC um, and, and you spent five years there um, looking after social media and digital innovation. How, how have you found the difference between the, the private and public sector when it comes to what, you, what you're doing and also particularly what you can and can't, can't say? Do you know, I get this question a lot and I, f I find it really, really interesting because I think people who work within government are always quite surprised that somebody from the private sector would come into the public sector. Um, to be really honest, I was just blown away by the quality of work that I saw within government. I think um, it's a fantastic time to be working in government. You know, the digital first um, strategy, the GDS, the government digital service, and the amazing changes that they're making to the website. There's a real passion behind digital as a powerful channel for government communications. Um, th to be honest, the differences between uh, my experiences in the private sector and what I've um, experienced within gov government, they're not really that different. They're both really complex organisations with, you know, very subtle, you know, subtle messages to communicate at times um, 
working for HSBC, obviously financial services are heavily regulated industry, struggling with a lot of questions about what's appropriate, you know, brand voice, brand tone, exactly where do people want to be contacted? When's it a bit creepy? When actually do people not want to hear from us just because we can tweet them back, should we? You know, so trying to unpick all those kind of answers, that's been a fantastic journey at HSBC and, you know, some really, really great and interesting work coming out of financial services, but then kind of translating that into government and really empowering people, not just the digital teams, but making sure that we've got digital press officers, making sure that our external relations teams are, you know, able to harness these chat channels, making sure that we can make the most of open policy making by embedding those skills within the policy teams, you know, right the way through to understanding how senior managers can really take the lead here, create some really some really exciting um, content and lead the cultural change that's so required within big organisations. Okay, well, Elaine, let, let me bring you into the into the conversation at this point because obviously, in looking at differences between public and, and private sector, you know, obviously listening to what Bentley was just saying there, but I suppose one area that must be important is in terms of the cost and being cost effective certainly from a you know from your department and the and the 39 other government departments you know given i'm assuming the limited funds for for marketing obviously there's there's a lot you know resource um, that we've heard is is involved but obviously cost effective doesn't necessarily mean cheap or certainly not easy so i don't know if you're able to talk us through how your team manages your channels we just heard how many channels betney's got i, I took some time to to look up um, on your particular website and all the links that go from there which and i noted down you had something like sixty-five thousand followers on twitter 2300 likes on facebook nine and almost nine and a half thousand followers on on linkedin just 134 on google plus so that's that's an interesting thing to look at Hundred and sixty thousand views on on youtube and, and it goes on and then you've got twitter fees for farming and air quality i don't know if i've missed anything there but it'd just be interesting to hear again how how you manage all that cost effectively really sure and and, you know what that's a really interesting question russell i echo some of the things that bethany said uh, that are appropriate to the department for business uh, innovation and skills i think trying to experiment and using some of those low cost channels is a great way to do uh, to do some testing it's a great way to communicate directly with the audiences in real time be seen to be engaged in the conversations that really matter to our department um, so I think actually this is a huge opportunity for government to get it right and to do you know to do that sort of engagement. I guess from DEFRA's perspective, we, like Biz, have an incredibly broad remit and we uh, some of the work we do impacts uh, on, on more or less uh, everybody's daily lives. So if you think about it, uh, some of the things in our remit like air quality, food safety, water quality, um, waste and recycling and flooding. I mean, there's probably not a single person out there that some, somehow hasn't been touched by, by some of those issues. But I think you're right, Russell, and that uh, the large followings present a challenge, actually, um, because it, it's quite a very diverse audience because of that very broad remit. And for example, I guess if you take uh, so something like fishing, for example, the people who are maybe following uh, some of these accounts that are interested in fishing are not necessarily also going to be interested in farming or plastic carrier bag levies or, you know, some of the other things that we might be messaging. Um, and so hence uh, the, the range of social media channels that we, we ultimately use. Um, we really, I guess, uh, 
push the point that um, to have a very specialist media account, you have to engage with it regularly. So we can't just have these accounts where we're going to broadcast things and expect people to listen and maybe don't engage with them very often. That doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. And actually, that's not how we want to engage, because frankly, that's not engagement anyway. So instead, we use these various different accounts like Deaf for Waste, Deaf for Water, Deaf for Air, and they're very specifically targeted communities of people who then get engaged in these conversations. And I don't just mean, you know, a government announcement and then we will announce it and then we'll talk about it. Um, we're, I, I hope, a lot more sensible than that. So what we do instead is we'll tweet about things like what's the minister doing on a visit today? Um, we might talk about the latest pollen counts on the air quality account. We might talk about um, maybe a recent article we've read that's of interest and you know, might be worth putting out some questions about it or what, you know, uh, what we think about it and just get involved in those topical debates that are going on in the social spaces. The But I guess there's a caveat with that in that I don't think it can be done blind. We have to be quite careful about just sort of going out there and, and blitzing and, and, and sort of being busy and not ultimately achieving any outcomes because ultimately, you know, we're, we're paid by taxpayers money we have to be value for money and we have to be effective we have to be focused on the business objectives of each of our departments so we use things like social analytics to use uh, to tell us actually where some of the key conversations are taking place so that for example if it's all happening on twitter we might do we might host a live twitter q a for example if it's all happening on blogs we will look at who those influencers are maybe and engage with those directly and are you getting much engagement through things like that uh, we do, we do actually, and we we both talk to people on a face to face basis. We have invited people into Westminster in the past. Uh, we answer questions live in real time. We get our chief veterinary scientists in to to answer very scientific questions because, of course, we won't as as comms professionals always know the answers. But we make sure we get them and we do it as quickly as we possibly can. Um, I guess we all know, you know, this is a very fast paced medium. We can't wait and try to issue a press release the day after because the conversation's over. Mm. We have to be quick. We have to be responsive um, and I think actually there's a huge element of fun in that we really enjoy that and that's where I think we're really building expertise in government okay well you, you this is a perfect sort of like um, chance for us to bring in um, uh, the, the comments that we've got from um, Alex Aitken because you just mentioned analytics and obviously this week um, th- that we're recording the podcast in it's the middle of uh, measurement week so just to give that a plug it's a it's a new worldwide campaign to highlight the importance of measurement in communications and it's supported not only by the CIPR but also by AMIC and our friends at the PRCA too um, and earlier in the week um, Elaine you very kindly managed to grab a minute with Alex Aitken um, so for those of you that don't know he's the executive director for government communications um, to get his take on how all government departments are evaluating their campaigns. I am Alex Aiken, executive director of government communications. I've just finished visiting all the main Whitehall communication teams and some of our major government agencies. I'm pleased to say that virtually every one of them now has a performance hub within their team that sets out on a wall all the main communications objectives and how the team are achieving those objectives. The outputs, the outtakes and the outcomes they're delivering. This is part of the programme we have put in place over the last two years to make sure that when we are running campaigns to stop climate change, to combat terrorism, to improve people's health, we have the evaluation in place so we understand what is being done, what is making a difference and whether it's working. We support Measurement Week because we've worked closely with the CIPR, AMIC and the PRCA to put forward ideas that will embed evaluation in great communications, tools like our performance framework. 
we have more to do, but the work that we have been doing is raising standards and making the best practice the standard of evaluation in public service. Elaine, perhaps you can explain a little bit more in detail um, how the performance hub that Alex mentioned there, how it, how it works, and in particular how it relates to the work that, that you're doing through social. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, that, it's a huge question, though. Um, <laughs> where to start? Um, the performance hub is very much like a comms centre um, for planning and evaluation. And um, Alex expects every department to track its performance against the business objectives for that particular department and make sure that we're gathering evidence that provides real actionable insight so that we're gathering um, intelligence, but we're acting on it, we're using it wisely and we're learning lessons uh, along the way so that when we do build a campaign and decide to target a specific audience, we can be much more successful. We don't waste resources by spending time doing something that actually is going to be ineffective ultimately uh, in the long run. It actually involves a number of very uh, clear approaches uh, to campaigns. Uh, and to give you an example, you've probably heard Alex say this in, in other speeches he's given um, in recent in the recent past, um, where he's talked about Oasis. Um, don't know if that resonates with some, but it's objective, audience insight, strategy, implementation, and then scoring. And it's scoring, but that's really evaluation, but we had to make it spell something. Um, <laughs> so Oasis is sort of our template. That's how we structure uh, that sort of um, communications plans. And then we have, and we're full of acronyms, but uh, we also use um, an approach called EAST, which is uh, very much about um, making sure that everybody approaches both social media and actually traditional communications in, in a standard format. So we make sure that they're easy, which is the E in East. Um, so if we've got a very complex message, it's about breaking that down and making it digestible in, in, in sort of chunks rather than throwing out a really complicated message. Particularly when you think about things like Twitter, 140 characters, you may not get across the legislative you know, nuances that, that need to be communicated. Um, the A in East is attractive, so we're trying to make it sort of appealing. We're trying to be fun and interesting and innovative, uh, as Bethany said earlier. Um, the S is social, so it's about um, making uh, the most uh, of, of the communications in terms of what the desired action is. So we're really trying to drive the action, and uh, on social, that can be quite an effective one. So we use that extensively and, and timely, of course. We, we don't want to um, turn out messages when people aren't going to listen to them. And, and that's not least because we want to try and catch people at the right moment, but also we understand our audiences really well. So for DEFRA, for example, we know that there are certain times a year where we really don't want to be asking the farming community to be doing something because it's their busiest time of year. Let's not try to ask them to fill out forms when it's the busiest time of year in terms of the lambing season, for example. You know, we really need to work with them, help them, not hinder them and try to aid them. And I think the use of these channels should be about sort of complementing the work rather than making it challenging for them. Okay. Bethany, do you have you got anything to add there in terms of the performance hub and how that works with, with your team? Any acronyms you want to share at all? Oh lordy. There <laughs> <laughs> are far too many, aren't there? It's really really, really something else. Um, I would say that uh, the one of the major achievements the performance hub has allowed our department um, uh, to, to achieve is to stop doing things. So if you get that request from either a senior person or, you know, maybe um, there's been a request that's been sent down because somebody somebody's seen something and thought, hey, guess what? What we really need here is a insert latest, you know, um, trend. Being able to show that actually we've got the statistics, we've got 
the data. We've got the evidence that says this is not resonating with this audience. And even though uh, you might like doing it, it's not having the desired effect. Therefore, stop it. So that could be either awkward videos that, you know, there there was a great enthusiasm a while back for um either ministers or senior leaders to have videos. Very few people watched them or they were only prepared to watch certain individuals. So let's not waste taxpayers' money. Let's not waste our team team's time. Let's really be, you know, laser focused on what's going to deliver real value. Okay. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the show in iTunes by searching for the C-Suite podcast in the iTunes store. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Well, in, in, I mean, carrying on this theme of, of analytics and, and measurement, I know, Elaine, you're on the presentation, presentation circuit at the moment with the CIPR's social media panel talking through a case study that uses the new social media measurement guide um, that, that's been launched. So I was wondering if you can just give our listeners just a quick taster on um, how you can pr- prove specific communication tactics that have resulted, you know, in achieving a government department's aim. I mean, that across loads of different departments, obviously, that could, that could mean any number of different things in improving the, the economy, supporting small businesses, increasing exports, whatever it might be. But on your, in your particular example, it'd be great if you can just sort of give us a taste from where they can go to find out more information as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we've used a very specific example, which was the Chip My Dog campaign. Um, that was something DEFRA launched last year with a very clear business objective to increase the volume of people chipping their dogs each year. Um, We knew the previous year's benchmark figure, we knew 25,000 people had done it the year before, 12, 13. Um, So we aimed to double that for the the next year with the only um, variable being the communications activity. And and the reason this was a great example is because it's completely isolated, the activity, and therefore the cause effect is really quite clear. If this communication works, more people will chip their dogs. So it was quite a good one in that respect in terms of setting very clear and set objective. Um, and yes, you're right, we did use the, the very new AMEC uh, framework and user guide that was launched uh, earlier this year, um, AMEC being the Association of, of Measurement and Evaluation of Communications, so very specifically trying to be focused on that measurement angle. Um, and using that framework, we were able to map out our metrics. And to give you a feel for what that sort of involves, um, it, it basically enables us to set out from the, the very left-hand side of, of, of this table, it looks at things like awareness levels and engagement levels. Now, most people will be familiar with those. They can, I can track volumes. We can all track Facebook comments and, you know, uh, numbers, metrics. Brilliant. But if they're not going to tell you a story or they're not going to tell you that something has changed as a result, it's a little bit pointless. So what this table uh, is intended to do is, is it allows you to map things across um from exposure and, uh, and engagement right across to impact and advocacy. And that's where you really want to strike your balance. So if you're really making an impact, like we did in this particular example, we were able to see that the, there was a huge increase in numbers of people microchipping their dogs. Brilliant. That's the outcome. That's what we were seeking to achieve. And therefore, this you know we were able to set metrics within that, for example, not just tracking the, the, the volume of people chipping their dogs, but also uh, the, new, uh, the new inquiries that we were receiving and the, new, the people who were 
were getting involved and maybe using the tone that was uh, suggesting they were considering chipping their dog. So we were making that behavioural change impact, which is exactly what we wanted. Um, and these metrics allowed us to map those out really, really well. Um, and uh, I think the, uh, the one really great thing that this also pushed us into was that although we were focused on the outcome and the impact, which you think, OK, that's the ultimate goal. Well, yes, it is. The, the framework also pushes you into trying to achieve advocacy. So what that led to was a huge saving in terms of taxpayers' money because we had user-generated content, we had a, a great buzz around the campaign, we had people putting their own YouTube videos up of where they had chipped their own dogs and they were showing that it was completely painless for the animal and so on, and it was spreading without us having to do any work, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, actually, we achieved, in terms of results, 150,000 new dogs chipped last year compared to the 25,000 the year before Excellent. so we were really pleased with that with that result um, and like you say uh, actually more details are available on the uh, AMEC website Brilliant okay um, Bethany obviously every government department will be different in terms of what uh, information they can and can't share um, are you able to share with us um, any of the guidelines that you've been given both for your department but also your own use of social media given you know where you, where you work um, well, it's worth pointing out that if you're interested in what um, civil servants can and can't do online, it's all found online. So if you look at the Government Communications Service website, you can see and download um, the civil service guidance for use of social media. Um, it's really, really clear, really, really straightforward. In summary, it says, don't be an idiot. I mean, I know that sounds quite quite flippant but we are all employed as professionals we are hired for our skills and I'm not just talking about communicators I'm talking about policy officials I'm talking about everybody who's involved in in their departments we're all governed by the same HR guidelines we know what it is to understand propriety we know the boundaries that we are expected to conduct ourselves um, within we know how we're expected to be ambassadors for our departments and for the UK government and to be honest, it's exactly transferable into the private sector and into other other brands or other organisations. My own background um, as a press officer, I was quite used to um, treading quite quite a difficult line, I suppose. Um, as a as a press officer, I would speak to journalists. I was a named contact. I was a spokesperson for for the brand. So I've. I've kind of grown up understanding this blurring between personal and professional. And to be honest, if you're trusting your press office to go down the pub to have a drink with a journalist and talk about a particular issue, you should probably be able to trust them with a Twitter account. The challenge is making sure that your senior team are keeping an eye on the channels and are aware of exactly what's being communicated by whom and to whom. So... For use, best you know, best practice use of social media. It is about being an authentic person. It's about um, being human. It's about not being a robot. Nobody wants to engage online with somebody who's just a faceless brand. They want faces. They want people. They want opinion. And I think this is a, a great learning curve for everybody within social media, or you know, trying to um, trying to adopt a digital way of communicating with their audiences. You know, and it has to be it has to be um, in line with your own brand guidelines. It has to be uh, credible. It has to be something that frankly feels authentic or doesn't feel cheesy. Or you know, you're kind of trying to make people you know. Um, uh, 
well, appear as they're not. But um, in terms of guidelines, it's really super clear. And the civil service aren't the only ones who put their guidance up on, online. There's some really fabulous guidelines that have been put together by the US military. Um, and if you've got um, a brand or perhaps you're struggling to try and embed social media within your own organisation, have a Google, have a find and, and nick some great ideas. Excellent. Um, I'll be doing that straight after this then. Um, Elaine, uh Keen to move on the onto the topic of open policy making. Um, I noticed there was a blog um, for it with an intro from the most senior civil uh, servant himself, Sir Jeremy Hayward. Um, he's the cabinet secretary, on which he asks um, people to subscribe to the blog, stay connected, contribute to the debate. Is is that aimed just for civil servants, or is that for everyone? Well, the way I see it, Russell, is that open policy making is really about early discussion, both inside government, so that um, we can make sure what's being discussed is really practical. There's no point starting a conversation when ultimately we couldn't maybe implement it that way. So I think from an internal government perspective, there, there is something to be said for that, of course. But also, I think it's all, it is also outside government, um, so that when we do give advice to ministers, it's really well informed. We've listened to the stakeholders, we've listened to the public. You know, th- this is very, very appropriate um, uh, advice. Um, but I, I think, you know, what, what matters in all of this is that it improves um, policy in that we've got, um, we're consulting the public earlier, we're consulting the target audience, we're doing it in very innovative ways in that, you know, for example, using citizen space to gather comments um, early on, even before a formal consultation is launched with, within government. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to use that much, much more. And I I think that's really very effective and I think we will probably see much more of that in the future not just in DEFRA but actually you know across Whitehall. Okay and Bethany I mean we've talked about crossing over from public to, to private you know a couple of times in, in, in the podcast already but do you think that's something again is there lessons that the private sector can learn from from that process? I think I think it's um, a lesson that everybody can, can learn just to get closer to your audience. You know, we have had um, you know a, a great increase in um, brands and organisations. You know, running more focus groups, trying to get closer. Um, Elaine and I work in two different government departments, but our departments came together on the launch of a particular initiative um, targeting the farming industry for innovation around technology within agriculture. Um, And a a great example of us working together was being able to understand that traditionally government would go and speak to the usual suspects, which might be the National Farmers Union or might be the industry groups that we've built relationships with over the time. Um, But in fact, we wanted to get really close to the people for whom the policy was actually going to impact. Um, and that led us to work with um, an online community, AgriChat UK. And we were um, we got two um, civil servants uh, who were actually responsible for writing the policy to take part in a two-hour Twitter Q&A to speak directly to the people who were going to be impacted, answer questions, and actually gather the insights that would help them shape a really effective policy. Now, that's something that any organisation, any brand can learn from to get amongst your audience. If you're working um, with, say, a youth audience, you know, for heaven's sakes, don't hide, don't hide behind your desk research. Don't just do focus groups. Go out, meet 
meet the people you're trying to reach, understand the way that they're communicating about the topic that you're interested in, look at who they're who they're influenced by. But it has to be it has to be a kind of a real um, a kind of living organic experience rather than something that's too academic. Excellent. Okay. Um, well, we are almost out of time. Um, I've got one more question to ask both of you. Um, and it's really, I suppose, how you think government can ensure that we get the best impact and value for the taxpayer. We've, we've sort of touched on it already a few times, but how can your teams, you're in the communications teams, and, and but also across all the various departments, how, how can we ensure that the taxpayer is getting their best bang for their buck? I think, um, for me, it goes back to the same point, and I know I harp on about this, but... Really setting a very clear objective and then seeking to achieve that outcome. And and I say that because it's it's one of the things that Alex Aiken, who who spoke in the clip earlier, has has sort of drummed into us all that um actually this work is futile if we're just sending out stuff and we're not actually achieving the government objectives. Um, and, I, and I completely agree with that. I mean, you, you wouldn't hear um, a building firm say, you know what, give me all this money and I'll build you, or to build a house. Um, I'll do lots of work and I'll be really busy, but at the end of it, I won't have built you a house. I mean, you just wouldn't even conceive the idea. So why would we do the same in government? Well, well we don't, is the answer. And so I think being really focused on those outcomes is really important. So we're targeting it. Uh, our communications. Um, we're making sure that the messaging that people need to hear is, is what they're receiving. They're getting it, as, as Bethany said earlier, they're getting it through the channels they want to receive it via. They're getting it at the right time when actually they can respond and take the action we're seeking to, 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 to achieve. Um, so I think all of those things are really, really uh, important. And I think the final piece of the jigsaw is about use of really actionable insight. So it's using lots of intelligence and evaluation principles to tell us what worked well and what didn't. So that next time we don't waste our time on something that isn't going to give us uh, the results that we're trying to achieve. Bethany any final comments to add? Um, I just agree with Elaine. I think a really, really clear focus is 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 vital, and I'm you know I'm certain I'm not the only one who um, gets requests across my desk that really I have to challenge and I have to push back, and that it doesn't matter whether I'm sitting within a government department or a massive multinational. It's about really understanding user needs. It's really un- understanding exactly what you're trying to achieve, and I think um, although we were we were um, being a little um, unkind about the acronyms, it does help to understand, to actually understand how long it takes to make something easy and appealing and, you know, straightforward. And I think if you don't put that time in up front, then you're going to get really poor quality data at the end of it. Elaine's absolutely right. We need to make sure that we're spending our time and our money and and our resources in the right, right way. That means innovating, that means experimenting, but it also means stopping. Brilliant. Great way to finish. Um, that is actually it for today's podcast. Um, so thank you once again to my guests, Bethany Kelly from Department of Business Innovation and Skills and Elaine Phillips of DEFRA. And if you want to contact me about the series of podcasts, you can find me on Twitter too. That's at Russ Goldsmith. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye.